Welcome to The Working Therapist with Hayden Bolick, a podcast designed to help you grow more, do more, and be more as a therapist. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. We're glad you've joined us for today's podcast. So here's your host, Hayden Bolick. Welcome to the podcast. Again today, as we said last week, is Allison Nance, who is our recruiter slash project coordinator person at PDT. Hey, Allison. Hello, Hayden. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome. Okay, so let's do a recap of what we talked about before. Mm -hmm. Part one was applying for a job. What do you want? What do you want to be when you grow up? Well, you already sort of made some decisions because you either have a job or you just graduated from graduate school and you're trying to get a job. So you're pretty much locked in. Yeah. But now you've got to apply for a job. That was last week. Yeah, we just talked about the application process, the do's and don'ts of uh, putting your application in and that type thing. So, yeah. So now we're ready to move forward. Exactly. Now you have applied for your job and you have an interview. Yes. What to do and what not to do. That's what we're talking about today. The first thing to do is to dress professionally. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. You are coming for an interview process, regardless of your position, whether you've, uh, you have a master's and you're applying for a professional position or you're applying for a runner position. You need to come dressed professionally. Yes. And we do have some horror stories about what we've seen. And yeah. We are not interviewing for a lifeguard. No, we're not. We have had people come in uh, Daisy Dukes. I wonder where is their whistle? They left it at home because they applied for a lifeguard <laughs> position, which we don't have one of those. So short shorts are not what you want to pick. Don't go with a short short situation. Yeah. Not a good look as for an interview. As your parents have always told you, first impressions are hard to overcome. So when you walk out as an employer to greet your applicant and they look like they've just come from the pool, um, that's probably not a good Good way to start off. That kind of shuts it down a little bit to a certain degree, regardless if you might be the best person in the world for that position. But if you didn't care enough to dress professionally to come and get the job, then what in the world are you going to wear once you have the job? Yeah, it's a little scary because it leaves a big old huge unknown. <laughs> yes, it sure does. So, um, and I think uh, that also being said, you know, I think we've gone past the days of the whole business suit. You know, so you do need to know your audience. And if it's appropriate to show up in a business suit, I guess show up in a business suit. But for us, a therapy company, you're never going to wear a business suit. No. We don't have one of those. We don't do that. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's appropriate. Again, like you said, Hayden, you got to know what you're applying for. Yeah. In our environment, we are a more casual environment. So a business suit's probably not appropriate. However, you need to show up in a skirt and a casual top or um, dress slacks, nice shoes. I, I like fashion. I love clothes, so I love to see what everybody has on. So, you know, wear something nice. Yeah, I agree. Even if you're not in a business suit, you still can look professional and appropriate and like you've tried. Right. Really like you've tried. Not Jeans to me means you've not tried. Right. The only time that that might be a an acceptable situation is if you know ahead of time that they're coming from another job during like a lunch hour and they're right. dressed for that other job. And normally you want to let that employer know, hey, I'm coming from my other job. I'm going to be dressed in scrubs or I'm going to be dressed in a, in jeans and a scrub top. Is that going to be okay? Mm-hmm. Because I have just this short amount of time. And yeah, that's fine because you've let me know ahead of time. Yeah. And I don't think it's inappropriate or poor to ask either. I really no. don't find that no. bad at all. Especially if you like in our situation, doing a working interview right. as part of your interview process. We have a lot of people who ask, can I wear khaki pants? Can I wear mm-hmm. whatever? You know, and it's good, I think, because they'll be uncomfortable. If they're working all day with us and they're in 
they're going to be up and down off the floor and, you know, it, it would be very uncomfortable in heels and Right. And they can't really get a good idea what we do dressed that way either. That's right. So you showed up. You're hopefully yep. dressed, up, professionally. dressed professionally. That's right. So where do we go from there? Well, you need to bring a copy of your resume. That's always yeah. helpful. And it needs to look good. And you also need to turn off your cell phone. Yes. Um, and checking it during the interview is also a bad idea. Yeah, I've actually been in interviews where the phone has gone off. Now, that uh, those things happen every once mm-hmm. in a while, but... Make sure that you do make a, a special effort to turn your phone off, even turn it off the vibrating. I'd say turn the whole thing off Just completely. Off, yeah. Now, I mean, I've, I've had applicants come in that have taken a phone call. I've had applicants that have come in that have checked their text message that came in mm. while I'm speaking to them. It is extremely rude, and pretty much you're telling that employer that it's not important enough for me to pay attention to what you're saying. Yeah, I agree. And and I automatically think then, well, if you're going to do this for me in an interview when you're supposed to be doing your best impression, then what are you going to do in the middle of a therapy session with a family if they're talking to you and you're checking your text? Yeah, I, right. I automatically go there. And it's just, no, I need I need you fully present in exactly. an interview. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I'm going to try to do the same for you. Yep. So cell phones, leave them in your car or turn them completely off in your purse. Don't even look at them. No. And... This might be obvious to say, but I don't think it is. We're not interviewing parents, so don't bring parents or friends to a resume, I mean, to an interview. You know, we're hiring you, not your mom or dad or brother or sister or neighbor or whoever it is. And so that is a a little bit of a warning sign if you bring your parents. Because at that point, you've got an advanced degree. Or are you finished school? You're applying with us. And if your parent still has to come along, I'm concerned as to how independent you're going to be and able to actually do the job. Yeah. Now, we've actually had that happen. Mm -hmm. Um, And so those, quite honestly, they did not work out. The biggest part of the why they didn't work out is because they couldn't cut the cord. And their parents pretty much dictated everything that had to do with how they did their job. And, you know, you're a professional now. You're a big girl. You've been through school. You need to be an adult. Time to grow up. Um, Yeah, it's great. I have a close family. It's great to be close to your family. But when it comes to your job, you've got to grow up and do your job. Now, the only caveat that I have with that is the fact that we do have some people that travel from far off, and they may bring their husband with them and drop them off at the interview. That's all right, because you're exploring the area with your husband, but you don't want your husband or anybody else coming, a friend or what have you, coming and sitting in the waiting room. So that would be the only instance which I would say would be acceptable to bring somebody along for an interview if you're coming from far away and they're coming to actually look at the area um, as you're applying for a job. But the whole parent thing, that's just not a good impression. No, no. And because you're going to be held accountable in that job, not your parent. Right. A lot of times in interviews, we've even had a couple situations where we didn't know. And the parent waited in the parking lot in the vehicle all day. And we didn't know that the parent was even out there. And I'm thinking, wow. Wow, I'm not that good of a mom. I'm just going to tell you right now. I am not that good of a mom. I am not to be able to do that. And you're right. They never worked out. No, they didn't. Mm -mm. I think also anybody that's done any amount of interviewing at all can pick out quickly if you're answering honestly and authentically or just you're given standard, here's the answer everybody wants to hear kind of thing. You can pick out quickly if this individual is authentic or not. Yeah, and, you know, we talked about in part one how that we had, as a team, had developed certain questions to try to bring those personalities out. So if I'm asking a question, Hayes asking a question, team leads asking a question, and you're giving us just fluff back. Standard. Yeah, just standard stuff. We know you're faking it. Yeah. So we've been in, we've been doing this long enough that we know 
if your heart's really in it or you're just saying what needs to be said to get through the interview. So, so just make sure you're given honest answers. And, you know, sometimes they may not be what we want to hear, but they're honest. Yeah. And obviously that'll help us make a better decision. And help that individual find a better place. Right, exactly. You know, they, I think some people forget the interview. You're interviewing the company as much as we're interviewing you. Yeah. I hope so. I mean, they should really be looking for authenticity from us as well. Right. Authenticity all the way around. Yeah. Transparency. Right. Love. Some yeah, and, 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 and when they do answer those questions and you know, I know, you know that they're answering them with those pat answers, that's the time I usually try to dig in and mm-hmm. say, now, are you really... Are you sure about that? Because <laughs> right. let me let me tell you how it really is in reality. And if you can't roll with that, then it's not going to be a good fit for you. No. And, you know, then I, I hope the person's asking me some questions back to try to figure out if I've got any, like, skeletons in the closet. I don't. I wish <laughs> I did. I might be a little bit more fun, but I don't. <laughs> but um, but they should be trying to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. They should be wanting to know. And eye contact, that's a big thing in interview that people don't, a lot of times, I'll have people look down or look past me or never, you know, make eye contact. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's very important for you to obviously make eye contact, but also to be very confident, not overly cocky, but to be confident in your answers and be proud of what you've done, but also have humility as well because you're there applying for that job. One other thing I will say, too, um, I have a 15-year-old, and I hear like about 50 million times a day. So if that is your normal cadence in speaking where you say, well, like, or well, like, like I went here and like I did this and like I that, you need to work on really eliminating that from your conversational way because that is it's, it's just kind of an immature way of speaking, and that comes across in an interview, too. So try to really work on taking that out of your conversation. Yeah, I agree. It, it makes you seem, mm, like you say, immature. Yeah, because you want to go, well, is it like or is it? Is it like or is it? <laughs> yeah, that's the truth. Yeah. Real or yes, whatever that real. commercial was. I don't know. You know, the same line of sort of when you work on how you're saying it and what you're saying, but sort of it helps you to demonstrate confidence in what you know. And I, the same thing of what we're talking about, being authentic also demonstrates confidence. I had a professor one time when I was getting out of graduate school, and I remember going to interviews, I was talking to him about it, and he said, well, look, you know, basically, whenever you get your first job, when you're whatever you're doing— because I was talking about how I'm like, I don't really think I know what I'm doing. He goes, you don't know what you're doing. You don't have a clue what you're doing. Mm-hmm. He said, but you're the only speech therapist in the room. So you're the speech and language expert. So have a certain amount of confidence. And so I think, you know, any new grad coming out of school or somebody that's been working for a while, you need to be confident about what you know and what you've done, but not overly confident or cocky, sort of recognizing how to where you are. Right. And, you um, know, a, an interview is not a life and death situation. No. The worst thing that can happen is you don't get the job. The best thing that can happen is that you do get the job you want. So go in there without the anxiousness and, and just be yourself. And and that will come out in that interview. And that's what we're talking about, about being honest and being authentic. Being grateful, obviously. Being humble and being grateful that you've been selected to come and have that interview. But um, the worst thing that can happen is you don't get the job. So it's, you know, be yourself. I can remember um, on one of the interviews that I went, it was an all-day-long interview, and I had an interview with like four or five different people. So, And I had, I guess she was a student that was taking me from interview place to interview place, and it was over this sort of larger campus, and we had to walk between places. And I can remember basically trying to sell myself, I guess, in between <laughs> us walking to it. And she, she must have been sick of me. Because by the end of the day, she goes, look, she just stopped in her tracks. And we were walking across campus. She stopped in her tracks. She goes, look, you know I'm not interviewing you, right? And I was like, <laughs> And I go, 
yeah. And she goes, well, it's okay. You Don't can just cut the crap anymore. right now. I'm like, oh, no, no. <laughs> and I was like, all right, lesson learned. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess, you know, you don't, and I, and I obviously sounded less than authentic. I was just trying to tell her, I think everything I did, but anyhow, <laughs> I, but you can, you can figure out pretty quick too, though. One girl that we recently interviewed and we hired and she's working for us right now. She talked about mission trips she had been on, things that she had done. And even though that wasn't specific to her discipline or whatever it was, it, it made her very authentic and very honest. And it set her apart as a different candidate versus others. Yeah. She ended up getting the job too, and works yeah. here. and I, and not not because of maybe what that particular thing was, but but you could see that she was committed to those things, and that those were the things that she was excited about. And, you know, one of the questions I usually do ask as I look through their resume is usually at the end of a resume it tells all the different awards and accolades that you've received, and so I usually say, okay, at this point, this is an opportunity for you to brag on yourself. So tell me something you're really proud of that you, a great accomplishment that you've had, and um, you can almost always guarantee that they're going to just light up, they're going to talk about something that they're enthusiastic about, and for us, it really sees where their heart is. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the thing that's exciting to them. That's the thing that their heart really is full force in. Um, and it's an opportunity. They're passionate about. Yeah, they're passionate about. Exactly. So that's something, really have that on the back burner. Think about that. Because I, I don't know if everybody asked that question, but that is something to really think about as you go into interviews. What piece of my life or my school am I really proud of? At the end of the day, I'd say this is what I'm proud of. Yeah. You know, this is another recent interview we've had not too long ago, and the individual had graduated from school and she was waiting to take her boards and she was working at a clinic, outpatient clinic, therapy clinic as a receptionist. That was particularly interesting to me because personally, I feel like everybody before they're actually put into the job should work the front desk of a therapy clinic because Mm -hmm. you learn a lot. And so I consider that to be a very valuable thing. Mm -hmm. Well, so I started asking her questions around that and she couldn't answer really many in-depth questions and she had built it up pretty good on her resume. So it was like a full time, but come to find out, she goes, well, you know, I really just work there. Um, you know, I, I just do a little bit here and there, a few hours, maybe once a week, just doing a, some filing and stuff like that. And she didn't, but it wasn't really front desk at all. And she was not excited about it at all. And I thought, you know, we stopped the interview shortly thereafter, but, um, <laughs> I, but, um, but she just was not, you could tell she hadn't really. She wasn't fully, being honest. She wasn't being honest. And cause she had really not been honest on her resume at all. And you could tell she really just was thinking, uh, you know, whatever, this front desk is stupid stuff, you know, really, which is not at no. all. And so that was not very authentic or, you know, yeah. well, actually, I guess she was being authentic because she didn't really like it, but it was not, it told a lot about that individual. Right. Yep. Um, and I agree with that. I mean, I, I do love to hear of accomplishments where they, where you've given back in some way, either to your community or your school or what have you, um, ways that you've made mm-hmm. things better. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Make things better. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think also having questions. I can't yeah. tell you how many interviews we do. And at the end, nobody has a question or they don't have a question for me. And I'm thinking, here's some questions you should have for me. Right. <laughs> here's what I haven't explained that well. Here's in between the lines. Here's what you should be asking me right now. And when they don't, I'm thinking, really, you don't have any questions at all? Because I would have at least like, hey, something, you know, you know, where you get your hair cut or something. I don't know, just a question, <laughs> something. But they should have a question, I think. Yeah, and also I think, granted, we do pretty much cover all the questions that are the typical questions, like what are my benefits, what are my pay, when can I start, that type thing. We do cover that in the first couple interviews. But, 
you know, I always at the end of the interview do ask for questions. And so those questions that they choose to ask are also very telling. Those questions are the questions that reveal what's important to them. Mm -hmm. You know, are they asking questions just about money? Are they asking questions just about continuing education? Are they asking questions about the community or the lifestyle here? I mean, so those are the types of questions that you're looking for. None of those are bad. No. They're not bad. I mean, but it does just kind of tell you about what is important to them. Yeah, you're right. Whenever somebody doesn't have any questions at all, it's always a red flag because I think in my opinion, I'm thinking, well, they're really not that invested in this interview. Yes. Uh-huh. They don't really want this situation, and we've probably just wasted some time. I'm not a big fan of that. But a lot of people come in with questions written out that they've thought about in advance. Yeah, that's you know? very important mm-hmm. because you want to make sure in your interviews that you are getting all of those questions answered. And they're, they're good, legitimate, thoughtful questions to ask, not silly. <laughs> right. I mean, the silly ones can maybe come later on. But first impressions, again, you want to make sure that you're asking intellectual questions that are really important. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to find a good fit. Right. I tell people, if you're trying to find a good fit here, which I think is also sometimes not always what people understand that they're doing. Right. Finding a good fit. Yeah, you can find a lot about that. And I think it's always nice after the interview to get a thank you note. Yeah. Even a handwritten thank you note, which you don't get that in that much anymore. But even it doesn't have to be that. Even an email, a thank you, a thank you email, mm-hmm. just something to say, hey, I enjoyed it. Thank you for spending the time with me or something. Kiss my foot. I don't know. Something. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's always positive to get a thank you note or a thank you email. And also it shows initiative that they're following through again. They're looking for an answer. I mean, I always tell people that we'll let them know one way or the other um, because we don't like to leave people hanging out there. But if they don't hear back from me, I like to be able to know that this is important enough for them to follow up. Um, So, yes, great. Send me a thank you note. Send an email. And that thank you note needs to not only go to me, but it needs to go to anybody that you've interviewed with individually um, to thank them for their time. Because it's a sacrifice of their time to to interview. So you want to thank them for that and the opportunity to come in and learn more about the company. But also just it shows initiative if you continue to follow up. Not to bug your employer. If you say to them, I'll let you know something by next week and you don't hear something by the next week. You might just want to shoot them an email and say, hey, just checking in to see where we are on the interview process. And number one, that'll take a little bit of anxiety away from the applicant. But it will also remind very busy people sometimes that, hey, you need to get back to this person and let them know one way or the other. If they're following back up with you, then they're interested still. And then it also speaks to the person's follow through, stick to itiveness, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, and each time you do speak to the any person that part of that application process, even the front person at the desk, mm-hmm. you want to be enthusiastic because I, we have actually offered people jobs, offered people second and third interviews where they've been like, huh, all right. It's very almost like deflating for us because th- we're here thinking, wow, we've got this great opportunity. Yeah. I'm excited about offering you this job or offering you the second or third interview. And when you just kind of go, okay. That, to me, goes, yeah, yeah it's not probably gonna, not going to be a good fit. Red I mean, flag. No, red flag. That's not going to work. I agree. If they are less than enthusiastic or if they um, don't respond back quickly. Yeah. That's a problem. Uh, that is a huge problem. And I think— um, Yeah, I, I just want to jump in right there with Hayden, too, because I have this a lot. Where I do call people back sometimes to have a second interview or email them for a second interview, and they don't respond. Or I call them, they don't respond. After the second call, I usually just let it go. But 
I think it's just respectful. If you're not interested or you found another job opportunity, you don't want to burn any bridges. That other job might not work out. Or you may down the line decide you want to be in North Carolina and want to come work for pediatric developmental therapy. You want to make sure that you leave us with the best impression. So yeah. if you come yeah. to me and say, you know what, Allison, I've had some things come up in my family and I'm not going to be able to move. That's fine. I understand that. But, you know, if you don't respond back to me, then your resume is going to go into a file that says did not respond. But if you give me an email and says, tell me the reason why, I appreciate it. I don't have to waste my time again trying to contact you. And, and it is a red flag because if you are trying to hire somebody and they can't respond to you, how are they going to be once you do hire them? Yeah. And you're trying to get them on the phone to ask them something or what have you. It doesn't speak well for that person at all. No. It does not. And the other red flag in that is the versus the person who doesn't respond, the person who tries to push the interview process along quickly. Because our interview process is multi-staged. There's different processes. It's tiered. You know, you get to this level, and then you make it through to that level and so on down the line. But people who try to rush it also make me nervous. Is you could sense sometimes that people don't really buy into that. And then that doesn't work for me either. Again, it goes back to the they should be interviewing us as hard as we're interviewing them to make a really good fit. And when people try to rush through that interview process, then I think they're not really they're looking desperate. at this whole situation. Yeah. They're desperate and they're not looking at the whole situation and they're not really buying into the company. They just want a job. Right. Yep. And I, I think that's not the best either. So I don't like to be rushed through the process either. Or people will say, well, you know, I've gotten about four job interviews, so I need to know something from you by such and such date. And I think, well, you probably take one of the other job interviews. I mean, job things, because I, I don't want to be pushed. Right. Don't box me in, yeah. like you like to say. <laughs> don't box me in. Um, the other people, if they're worth anything, you know, they'll wait. Yeah, they will. And they'll respect you trying to make make a good decision, which is also important. Another question you want to ask, some companies will try to rush, rush, rush to hire quickly. I think it's important to look for a company that's getting the right individual, the right who. I say all the time, we look for the right who. And if they aren't doing that, then if they're just rushing to fill a slot by a certain date, you know, sometimes we are tied into dates and we need somebody by a certain point and that kind of thing. There's nothing wrong with that. But if it's all about the date versus the person, that's a problem too. Yeah, uh, that is one of the questions I do get usually at the interview is, how many positions are open or when do you want this position filled? And and sometimes, like you said, we are tied into some mm -hmm. real quick needs. But for the most part, it's so much more about the who. If you're the right person, the right fit for pediatric developmental therapy, then we'll make a place for you. Yeah, we will. Like I say many times, you know, we're not creating anything here. We're just it's a ther at the end of a therapy session. You really can't feel, smell, touch, hear anything. You just have you and that relationship with the family and the child. And so if you don't have the right people, because it's all about people. That's what our business is, is people. We're a service industry. Then really, you got nothing. So you can't have the wrong who. You got to have the right who. And I think it's important to know if you're interviewing with us or someplace else. We talked about the philosophy of the company and that last week, but that's a big deal. And a lot of times, you know, I can think of several interviews where that point has not hit home. But then when it does, man, you're like, oh. Yes. Okay. They get it. They get it. She gets us. I say this all the time. She's, we'd interview a man. Um, we would hire a man. <laughs> at this point, though, I think men look at the resume and they see like, I mean, not resume, the website, website. they see like 40 women and they go run and scream and like, I'm not interviewing <laughs> that group. Yeah. But, um, but so mostly we talk about just she's cause that's, that's, yeah. that's who we have, what we do. Yeah, we've, <laughs> we've made, we've made offers to several gentlemen yeah, that have right. not, uh, have decided out. not to take the position. <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah. I mean, we don't have a crazy here. It's crazy. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Working with 40 something women. That's not intimidating. No, at all. it's not at all. And I really don't know why we can't have the first men. All right, so as we start to kind of wrap up, 
our interview process, let's let's talk a little bit about those questions that we always wish people would ask us, but they don't. So let's be real specific. Yeah. Okay. So when people don't ask me questions, some of the ones I would like for them to ask me are things like, how long does it take to write daily news? I want some logistical questions. Questions. A better one would be, let's start with therapy. A better one would be, you know, what types of children do you see? Do parents come back with you to the therapy session? Do they stay in the waiting room? How do you talk to parents? Where do you talk to parents? What kinds of questions do parents, when you do therapy, Hayden, if, somebody, if you were sitting across from me, Allison, you were interviewing me, Hayden, what kinds of questions do parents ask you? That I can sink my teeth into. If they ask me that question, then I can really get to tell them, hey, this is what you're going to be doing all day. Yeah, it's almost like they're asking you, tell me what my life's going to be with PDT. Give me right. a day in the life of my day at Pediatric Developmental Therapy because they want to know what they're getting into. You know, don't ask questions about salary right at first because, mm-hmm. honestly, there's going to be a range that we're going to work with. If you've done your research enough, you know what range it is out there, Right. Um, especially if you're applying for a professional job as a therapist. You know what the range is. Yeah. So don't ask about that because, to me, that kind of sounds greedy. And we're going to get down to the nuts and bolts. Most of the benefit questions we've already answered in the interview. Um, if there's something specific, it's okay to ask that, but don't. the salary thing is just not a great thing to ask about right at no. front. No, don't ask that right off. We keep 40 therapists employed. Yeah. We obviously pay good. Yeah. yeah you know, <laughs> so I mean, just like, let's assume that. And it's an interview. We're going to get to salary. But ask me like, okay, what kind of therapy toys do you have? Yeah. How often do you get new therapy toys? Because we ask questions to them regarding like equipment and that kind of thing. So they should sort of turn the table on us and say, okay, well, what, what do you use in therapy? I would love to tell them what I use in therapy because then I could talk to them about therapy, which is what I really love to do. So if they could turn the tables on me a little bit, I don't mind it. They should because they should hold me accountable. I'm holding them accountable. They're interviewing me. They should find out because if they ask me that, they can ask what type of supervisor boss I am. Does that work for them? We ask them sometimes about how they've been managed in the past and how. Mm -hmm. What's your ideal supervisor? Mm -hmm. So we usually do ask that. So that really does help them. Mm-hmm. And if they ask more specific questions, you know, sometimes a lot of times we'll hear, oh, I want to work with other people in my discipline. Mentoring is important to me. If that's important to you, if that's what you're looking for, then you should say, how often will I work with another OT or a speech therapist or PT? Will I see them every day? Will I mm-hmm. see them once a week? Will I see them once a month? You know, in what capacity? And also be able to say and answer the question, how much supervision do you need? Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily a wrong answer. I just need to know. Yeah, I think in summary on those questions, if you focus on getting to know our company better, our philosophy and what we're about and how you're going to fit in and how you're going to interact with other therapists, if your questions all pertain to those type of things and therapy, then you're at a good spot. Mm-hmm. But if you move to a point of the self, of how much you're going to pay me, what benefits you're going to give me. We're going to get to that. In most cases, I discuss all of that at the very beginning of the interview because if we can't meet your salary need, there's no use in us getting going forward. But no. um, those questions are really more about self. Your questions need to be how you're going to fit into PDT and if our, do our philosophies match and are you going to be a good therapist? So that's, I think in summary, Hayden, that's pretty much what you're saying. Yeah. They're asking a lot of questions about how far they'll have to drive to work, especially for a new grad. I'm like, you're a new grad. You should be driving wherever you need to drive to learn whatever you got to learn. I mean, really coming out of graduate school, you know enough to get a first job, but you got a long way to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know, if you're asking me about how far you got to drive to work, it's a red flag. 
I'm thinking, okay, because, you know, you're not really there yet in your career. You don't want to be inconvenienced. (laughs) Exactly. And I'm thinking, you know, you need to have a thirst for knowledge, be ready to learn, ready to try new stuff. We've we've interviewed several people who who spent a lot of the interview telling me what they didn't want to do. I'm thinking, oh, buddy, this is probably not going to work out because if one thing we have is a variety of clients and different diagnoses and all that. So they should be asking me about, okay, well, tell me about some of the kids y'all see. What types of therapy do y'all do? How do you train your therapist? I hear this a lot. A therapist says, oh, I'd like to learn more about feeding. And I'm like, oh, yeah, well, we do a lot of feeding here, which we do. How? And they say, oh, you know, I would love to be mentored by somebody with feeding. Well, what does that look like? They should ask me, how do you train somebody else to know about feeding therapy or sensory integration therapy or auditory verbal therapy or apraxia with, with children? How do you train people? They're, again, very thoughtful questions. Well, it means they care. It means they're mm-hmm. interested. It means they want to learn and they're trying to figure out, okay, well, this is how I learn and this is what I know so far. So let me see if this fits with this company. And how do they do it? People could tell you all day, oh, sure, sure, we have training for feeding. But if I can't give you specifics, then probably I don't. You know, so I should be able to do as an employer, I should be able to specifically tell you how I can train you on various things if I tell you I can. Right. So those are some of the specific questions. Okay. Yeah. So I hope people took notes on those. Yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, you can hit the rewind and listen to this. Over that's, right. <laughs> that's right. Because <laughs> she didn't get them all. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> all right. Well, we're going to wrap it up then. That was good. I enjoyed that. That was fun. Yeah. I hope you guys have some good takeaways from that. And we wish you much success um, in your interview process mm-hmm. and um, and just look forward to hearing from you. So on the next podcast, we're going to continue on with our, you know, we started with applying and the interview. And now the next podcast is, so you have a job. Now what? Yeah. <laughs> and the, what we're going to basically talk about is how to be successful. If you've got a job as a therapist, I'm not kidding you, therapy is the easiest thing you're going to do all day. It's all that collateral stuff that's going to, cost you stress and strain so it's all the collateral it's called it's the work it's the Mm -hmm. work the therapy's Mm -hmm. easy it's the work that gets in the way so um we're going to sort of break it down next time we're going to introduce the topics that you need to know about so you can be successful and then we're going to talk about each one of those individually on the weeks after so sounds like a plan yeah stay tuned it's gonna be good (laughs) okay that's it for now uh thanks everybody for listening and we'll catch you next time Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist, an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. If you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com. 